Hello, you've got Ted Corliss with the Corliss Barfield Trial Group. We're also going to be publishing this podcast from our News Munchies platform. That's www.newsmunchies.com, which makes these podcasts available on iTunes as well as Spotify. My name is Ted Corliss, and I've been a property insurance lawyer now for more than 25 years. And during that time period, I've had the benefit of meeting some brilliant people and I like working with brilliant people, and that's why when you meet the people at my office, you'll see that lots of very positive things are going on. One of the positive things I'd like to share with you now is the fact that as an organization, uh, my law firm has dedicated itself to providing personal protection equipment to people in the Tampa area, as well as Clearwater and St. Pete in Florida, to provide them personal protection equipment so that we can work as a community to reduce the exposure of the COVID-19 pandemic. In that vein, we have started giving away and have given away more than 5,000 N95 masks. Now, N95 masks are specifically designed to reduce the total amount of exposure by 95% to a size of a particle, the, the size of a virus, which is pretty tiny. Now, during that time period, uh, we have had staff members get on the phone to share the mask mission, meaning hashtag mask mission, so that we can get these out into the hands of people who we use them and benefit from them. Uh, we've provided them to more than 40 organizations in the Hillsborough County area, and we've even been receiving phone calls across the United States. Just yesterday, we re received notice from a fire department in a small community in Arkansas that needs masks. And they found out about our program, and I'm very excited that we're going to give them the masks that they need so they can continue to support their community. Along that way, though, many people who we've reached out to about the N95 masks have pushed back on me and suggested that they're not actually necessary, they're not actually safe, and that there are certain people with restricted breathing, COPD, asthma, things like that, who shouldn't be using the N95 masks. Now, I will tell you that there are just as many people saying the exact opposite, which is, of course, the reason why if we need to provide counsel to you, I'm going to go to the people that I trust and I respect. And there is no one that I trust or respect more for medical questions than my own physician. And that's Dr. Radley Griffin. Dr. Griffin's been my doctor for more than eight years and he's been there to support me and my family during some pretty scary times. And he provides enormous comfort to me. And I want to offer that same comfort to you. And so Dr. Griffin had previously in the earlier podcast addressed the some of the most recent data that has come out about the COVID-19. He's also uh, now going to address some of the questions about the safety of personal protection equipment and specifically whether or not you as an individual can continue to wear the mask for long periods of time without suffering any consequences. But before we get to that, I want to remind you, let's all work together in the same community. And I believe if we do that, when this thing finally gets with the world back online, things will be okay. I hope that this podcast provides you the same comfort that it did for me. Here's Dr. Griffin. Well, let's, let's switch to this issue of personal protection equipment. And I, I, the reason why I'm especially interested in it is that, uh, you know, my business, my law firm in Tampa decided to 
see what we could do to help the community. And one of the ways that we felt we could during this exercise uh, is that we've been uh, providing people at no cost access to N95 masks. Interestingly, I've had a lot of folks reach out to me when we've offered them masks, suggesting to me that the N95s are not safe for people who have any kind of existing uh, lung disease or COPD, uh, asthma, anything like that. Oh, do you think N95s are safe? So, so I would say N95s have a role for sure. Um, as far as their safety, with the, really the idea is can can they can they inhibit oxygenation or um, or limit. Uh, uh, what we call blowing off our carbon dioxide can they cause what's called hypercapnia where there's too much carbon dioxide, almost like breathing into a bag. I guess sure. what some folks will say is, is the problem. If someone's hyperventilating, we say breathe into a breathe into a, a bag so you can actually keep some of that carbon dioxide in your system. And so you don't pass out basically is, is the concept there. Um, I would say N95s, and, and thank you for, for that, and this has been one of our challenges as a country, is having enough of this vital equipment, especially for, for healthcare workers and those who are testing, even in our own practice, when we started testing uh, patients here in Tampa very early, in you know, early March, we were able to, we had some existing equipment, and we were actually able to start testing um, some of our symptomatic patients extremely early and I was really proud of our team for that for, for stepping up and then um, our hospitals as well and, and there's many hospitals who just um, just did not have um, you know enough equipment at the ready so thank you for being able to to provide that and then the idea is sure. that what is the benefit really of of these masks uh, for the lay public and I think it's a bit mixed and, and I'm, I'm by no means the expert, but I will say before this, we never really, never really paid the N95s too much attention in an, in an outpatient, from an outpatient perspective. The only time it really came up for me was during the Ebola scare uh, many years ago. I think that was 14, Yikes. 15, and 16. Right. And and is truly thinking, I mean, I wouldn't feel comfortable with an N95. I'd need a full hazmat suit to, to, to be, feel protected with, Ebola. with uh, Ebola. Right. Yeah. Sure. But, but other than that, you know, N95s we would wear with tuberculosis cases, tuberculosis cases uh, in the hospital. We, you know, we wear gowns, um, but even, you know, even in the hospital, we would not wear N95s for probably most, most diseases, even infectious diseases, when I was around in the hospital. And now the topics really come up. And my personal opinion is that I don't, I don't know that the, I think it, it could be reasonable for, you know, each household to have a handful of N95s as long as, you know, there, you know there's adequate supplies. And I have a feeling we're going to have adequate supplies moving forward. Um, at least I hope so. Um, but for everyday use, um, that's that's a challenge for me. I think right now I'm 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 really of the opinion that <clears throat> N95s are very useful for the person who has tested positive, whether it's for a flu virus or uh, <clears throat> COVID-19, and they need to go somewhere for testing and they need to be around other people. 
and perhaps the people taking care of them, it makes a, a ton of sense, right? Very similar to how we do in a hospital. So as soon as I am done seeing my infectious patient in the hospital, I'm really taking off that N95 because it's extre- they're extremely uncomfortable to wear. And it's, it, they're almost suffocating if they're fitted correctly, right? And right. so, um, so one of the things we do is very similar to you. We had a, a, a colleague in, in Nebraska, and they were taking care of the meatpacking um, spread as it was happening a few weeks ago. Sure. And they were out of equipment. And sure enough, we, we said, we want to help you out. And we shipped them a bunch of our, our uh, N95s. And that's, I think that's the utility with, with, you know, if I'm, if I'm counseling, I'm, I'm trying to find out, okay, who are these smaller entities out there that aren't the big hospitals? How can we, I think even moving forward, if we're looking at the next pandemic is how can we outfit our primary care offices, our urgent cares, um, to, to really serve as the pre-front lines for our hospitals. Because one of the things I found was in Tampa, when, when we had our first cases of COVID, you'd say, hey, who's testing? And everyone would kind of look at each other. And I called the ER. I go, do you guys have tests? And they said, no, we don't have tests yet. And very much in the beginning, and I, don't, I didn't expect us to have, have tests ready for a bug that we only knew about, you know, in early January, but, you know, maybe a bit sooner here in 2020. Um, but I was really kind of, I was really taken aback that, gosh, there's not enough primary care offices taking, you know, swabbing patients, testing for this. And that's where I thought we, we, um, we can definitely improve moving forward. And so I think, I think uh, things like N95 masks, you know, to have primary care offices or those, hey, I'm taking care of some, some COVID in my family. Hey, let's make sure everybody there's got some masks. So when they're interacting with each other, the COVID infected patient has on a mask. So they're inhibiting the spread of the virus outward. And sure. then the person taking care of them is inhibiting it inward. And uh, I think that's for me, the N95s have a lot of utility there. Got it. Got it. Are there any other specific things that you continue to promote people to do to protect themselves either from catching it or if they may have it to spreading it? Not for me on the asymptomatic spread, and I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm very intrigued by that. But I'm also, I also want to be very cautious about that, too, because I feel like, gosh, I, never in my career or my life have I ever been sort of afraid of a healthy-looking person you know, standing three feet from me, having a conversation. And my fear in this current environment is that, gosh, I don't, I don't want to have that fear. I don't want to have the, the fear that, Hey, this, you know, healthy Ted is standing across from me and I I'm healthy and, and I don't have any symptoms and I'm, but I'm in the back of my mind, I'm worried that I'm going to get, you know, a, a life threatening disease from this healthy person across from me. And I don't. I think the data will, will be a little bit more clear moving forward on that as well. Um, and of course, there's so many other factors. How many of us have an innate immunity? Uh, there's the, these T cell studies coming out of out of um, out of Asia right now, and there's so many people in Asia uh, that have, or well, a few, you know, a large percentage based on the, the sampling that have what's called T cell immunity against COVID, which is just fascinating. And they've never been exposed. 
So there is this innate immunity. And I think as more knowledge comes out, I think our fear, my fear has definitely gone down. And so I think moving forward, I think, you know, I love the hand washing rule. I think, I think for me, I like a little bit more of the personal responsibility where a lot of folks in the past may have had a little sniffle or a cough or a little low grade fever and they would maybe just go right into work or be, you know, coughing. And I think, you know, let's maybe we could tighten that up a little bit and have a little self-awareness around, you know, yeah, I'm not feeling as, as terrific. And I, I think employees can work with employers as far as, Hey, you know, what can we do from it? You know, a lot of people are fearful that, you know, they'll be, uh, dock their time and things like that for right, right. but I think I think coming out of this I think everyone will agree that yeah I don't want a sick employee coming and potentially infecting patients and 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 people in the office so I think maybe a little self-awareness can be enhanced from that sure um, I, I know so, we yeah. had we had somebody at the firm catch the flu from her son and she was not symptomatic or if she was, she didn't share that she was. And I asked her if she, I was having my car worked on and I asked her if she would drive me over to pick up my car. And it wasn't 48 hours later that she was horribly ill. And then the day after that I was ill and then my wife was ill. Then I gave it to a couple of people. Yeah. And it's, it's so bananas, but I think now we're telling the people at the office that when we get back online, that, you know, we, we want them to be aware of what their health is. And if it's not right, then it's okay to stay home. We, nobody's counting. So. Well, sure. I think, I think there can right. be a degree of flex that happens. Um, and then, you know, I think the, the question is, I just don't know the answer to this. I think the preliminary data isn't as clear to me. The question is though, if you said, okay, my son's got the flu let me, I'm going to don a, an N95 to work or maybe even a, a facial covering. Um, and you're in, the, you're both in the car and you both have on a facial covering. It, is that sufficient enough to prevent the spread? And I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting that data. I think, uh, there was some data coming out with that has already, um, and I have to cite that again with, with COVID positive patients wearing facial covering, it didn't really stop the spread of the, of the droplets outside of the mask. I can't tell you what percentage if there was a lower culture rate of, of, uh, of, of virus grown, you know, with mask covering or without, um, as we know, it only takes, you know, one virus to, to infect someone, but viral load is very important. We're finding out as well. And so I, I think it's one of those things I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But I, I think I am a bit cautious about I, I'm just not clear on I think Virginia just came out with a state law um, or an executive order, you know, uh, uh, mandatory face masks. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure I, I'd like to be. I guess I don't mind things like that as long as if data is coming out that shows the opposite, that our leadership um, can reverse course if they have to pivot, pivot away from a policy if they find out, hey, you know, this actually doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, and then if it does, if data does come out and says, gosh, this actually works very well, and we have controlled studies that, that 
that show that, gosh, I'm going to be right there with everybody else wearing a mask um, right. and promoting it. Well, it seems like so much of the data that came out from, say, NIOSH or OSHA was, again, more focused on uh, how the mask affected the individual's breathing as opposed yes. to necessarily stopping the spread of infectious diseases. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But I mean, how, what's the longest period of time you've worn a mask? Hours? Would it be? Not, not for me, not for what I'm doing. I would say, um, for me, 30 to 60 minutes tops, you know, I'm engaged right. with patients, things like that. And, and, and then now, uh, I, in my, in my own office, it's, it's, um, around, we, we've been testing our staff pretty on a somewhat regular basis, not as much recently, mainly because we just don't have the cases. And, and I do have the benefit of, of, you know, seeing and treating uh, patients in our community. So, and we're actually testing. So we have a, a upfront and personal knowledge. We haven't had knock on wood, a, a positive COVID case since April 13th, I believe. Oh, wow. And so we're seeing quite a, um, quite a drop off in cases. And I think, um, in, in Florida specifically where a lot of the cases are, uh, from care homes, assisted living homes, things like that. Sure. And so as I'm seeing those numbers really decline, I'm not, I don't feel overly compelled to, to, you know, uh, wear a mask, but we, we are practicing social distancing. We have, I'm a Purell fanatic right now and I'm paying way too much for Purell, but I got to have it. Right. It's just, I'm almost getting, I want to wear it as a perfume. I love the smell so much. I'm going to try a little bit of a martini, see if it gives just a little bit of a, just a little twang. All right. So, so, but before I get off, I, one of the last things I want to ask you is about any uh, medications or treatments that you have heard about that appear to be promising. Obviously there's been a few, uh, that were attempted. There was a, what well, there was a malaria drug that, uh, was being promoted at some point by the president, but is there anything yeah. now that you're seeing that, uh, seems promising? There, gosh, there's always some interesting things that are, that are coming up. And I, in the beginning really was just, because for me, it's, it's truly like, gosh, I, I want to have, I want to have some ammunition against this, this scourge, and again, it goes back to that control piece. How do we how do we treat this? And you know, treatment means we can control it and potentially cure it. And so, yeah, there's some really uh, interesting drugs coming out. I, I know, I know in Asia, there's a, there's an interesting cocktail um, that's that's being used. It's a combination of an of an HIV uh, medication. Uh, which is being used, which basically is the, the antiviral component, uh, that sometimes it's just so helpful, uh, for stopping that, that replication of the virus. Um, and bring and the I viral that, load down that way, right? It doesn't really matter what the virus is. If the viral load's coming down, that's a good thing. A 100%. So if you can, you know, stop the viral load, you can stop the, the replication. Um, so there's a there's an anti-parasitic anti drug called ivermectin, which is which is um, which is uh, showing promise only in, in lab studies. I think there's a few people out there trying to see if it works in, in you know, in, in patients. And and again, all of these things are coming out. The, the anti-malarial drug hydroxychloroquine 
uh, is an interesting drug in the sense that it from SARS-03, there was a there was a, a paper written that showed that for SARS-03, uh, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine, its predecessor, could be used as a prophylactic medication. And the way that medication could be active is that it does have some antiviral um, uh, properties. And I didn't know this, but one of the, the problems with, well, I knew that one of the problems with COVID was these, these clots that patients were getting. And they would get you know, blood clots in their lungs from the inflammation that would happen from a really severe case. And, um, and basically the, the organs would shut down because there was all these clots in the system. And so a big part of the therapy right now is to put patients on blood thinners um, while they're in the hospital. And so before we had a lot of the blood thinners that we have today, we actually used to use hydroxychloroquine as a blood thinner. And so it's been around a long time. I think uh, there's some data that shows that um, it needs to be, it's really no good once a patient is really what we call in that inflammatory phase. So if we think about the phases of illness, the first phase of illness with the, with the COVID is what's called the viral phase. That's when the virus is replicating in the body and the body says, hey, what's going on? And a fever starts and things like that. And then, then that shifts over once all the cells are infected and the, the immune system is activated. We call that the inflammatory phase. And I would, I would wager to say that once, if, if hydroxychloroquine or any antiviral for that matter, remdesivir is a drug that's showing some promise. Uh, it's showing that it could lessen the, uh, the length of infection. Um, and that makes a ton of sense to me. If we can actually stop use these uh, medications, test early, diagnose, and say, yes, let's put you on an antiviral medication, whatever that proves to be, right in the beginning, very similar to how we use drugs like Tamiflu and Zofluzo for, for influenza, maybe we use some of these other drugs to, to basically stop that viral replication. Um, then we can prevent the patient from getting into that inflammatory phase, which is which is really the, uh, the goal. And then the other is, gosh, can these drugs be used as a, a prophylactic? So we, we talk about our greater than age 65 who, who are vulnerable. And I, I worry that we, we can't have our age 65 and older quarantined, you know, until a vaccine. We don't know if we'll, we'll have a vaccine. I'm hopeful, but um, so we have to be thinking of other strategies beyond uh, putting all of our eggs in the vaccine basket. And I think one of the ways to do that is look at some of these you know, inexpensive options that are available really to every single human on the planet. And when you think about that, that's pretty important to think about if you think about, okay, what, what therapies are available that really, no matter where you are socioeconomically, we, we can get you that drug in your hand pretty darn quick. And uh, like right now, if you and I, you know, I'd say we're in, in a good position. I'm, I'm connected sure. in the medical world, so to speak, right. and, and I can't get remdesivir because it's not, it's not available. Um, right. But there's, there's other medications out there. So I think that's part of it as well. You know, how can you know, can we find a, a therapeutic drug that could be helpful if, if given at the, at the right time? I think it has been politicized, but I, but the, 
taking the politics out, the, the data will come out whether it's helpful or not helpful. And maybe it's only a percentage helpful and, and it, it's only going to work in a handful of cases and we're still going to have to wait on that vaccine. So I, I would think, gosh, if we can, if we can take some vitamin D, selenium is another, another uh, micro nutrient that could be helpful and, in the uh, prevention of, of COVID or at least lessening the symptoms. Uh, there's a study on an over-the-counter drug called Pepsid, which basically keeps the uh, body from uh, developing a cytokine storm, you know, widely available. Um, so that it's You're just talking about so Pepsid. Just Pepsid. Pepsid AC, uh, yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> the, the Hell, I think I got drug. some right here in my drawer. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Right. So I love the ingenuity and the observation. It's just I'm I just feel I, I feel terrific about it and just it's one of those things that this virus in my lifetime hopefully is a a one time occurrence, but it's it's been really neat to see humanity really rallying around uh fighting this thing. It's it's um yeah, it's it's uh, really humbling. Well, I I appreciate uh, your time always, and I and you're always so available to me, and I benefit so much from it. That's why I thought it was such a good idea to get you on, so that you could share those ideas with other people. So I I, I thank you and your entire staff for everything they do for my family regularly. Well, it is our pleasure, and and uh, we we one of our core values in our in our practice is. Uh, the value of uh, the statement relationships, not transactions. I mean, it's, we are, we are in it for the long haul with our patients and it's, it's, um, we, we, we truly feel just, just so blessed to take care of such a wonderful group of people and that really put their trust in us and to make the, gosh, the best decisions. And it's, um, I, I learned a long time ago, it's, you really treat patients how I would treat my own family. Um, sure. And, um, and we're just, we're just proud to be here for everybody. Good. Good. Well, thank you so much. I enjoyed having the opportunity to talk to Dr. Griffin. I will tell you, it's really something to be able to get the time and attention of such a qualified physician and someone who was so dedicated to his practice. And I appreciate the opportunity that he has given us to ask him questions about the COVID-19 exposure, as well as to address some of the concerns people have had about personal protection equipment. We're going to continue to provide our uh, N95 masks as long as we can get our hands on them and we can continue to find organizations who will need them or benefit from them. I assure you, we're not having trouble finding them. But if you happen to have an organization that you're associated with, maybe you're a volunteer for the local Humane Society. Perhaps you provide uh, delivery services for Meals on Wheels to people who are living alone, but you don't have personal protection equipment. We're your answer to that. And that is, I want you to reach out to me, hashtag mask mission or hashtag Corliss cares. And the other way is simply to email me service, S-E-R-V-I-C-E at CorlissBarfield.com. And if you can send us the contact information, we will provide masks to you either as just an individual or as an organization. And they will be provided to you at no cost, even for the shipping and handling. 
I felt that after we received a sizable payment from the federal government through the payroll protection program, that we needed to reinvest that money back in the community. And that's what we're doing with it. I look forward to hearing from you either on our email or if you care to read our various content uh, on our websites at www.coralisbarfield.com or at www.newsmunchies.com, which is our cannabis brand. I hope that you are comfortable. I hope that you are safe. And I hope that these podcasts have provided you some comfort. My name is Ted Corliss. Be well.